So wake up, be grateful, like take a few conscious breaths, like even just a few conscious breaths can be huge. But if we're that in the illusion that we don't have time, not, not enough time for like a few conscious breaths, uh, yeah, we, we got some work to do. Thank you for tuning in to Perth Reconnect. We're here in the Beyond Rest Chill Out space. Um, I'm your host, Ben Dunnan. With me is my co-host, Nick Dunnan, my brother. How you doing? Very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. It's good to have you here in Perth. You're not over here very often living in Melbourne. No, no. It's nice to be back to my main home. It's funny, we, a bit of our backgrounds. We've been living all around Australia, but for me, Perth is... Uh, I've lived here longer than anywhere else in any other city, so for me it's yeah, lovely being back and good to be on this podcast with yourself and Stewie here. Yes, yeah, so our special uh, guest today is Stuart Watkins, who's all about being yoga, and I believe that's the book you've just released, so welcome Stewie. Thank you guys, thank you for having me, really great to be back here. That's good man, um, it's been a long time since I've seen you, but um, Looking up what you're doing, you're you're a little bit different about how you approach yoga because you're not just about doing yoga, you're about being yoga. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. Um, I mean, it's a pretty long conversation, but I'll try and wrap it up in a bit of a brief summary. So like in our culture, most of the emphasis of or the kind of collective perception of yoga is that of a whole bunch of challenging postures and uh, mainly an emphasis on stretching the body in stretchy black yoga pants or a whole host of colorful yoga pants and it's been very uh glamorized and kind of sexified and uh so the being of yoga is really yeah I mean you can still do it you can still do all the postures and all of that but being yoga is really being who we truly are it's our natural unified state so we can cultivate that by doing a whole bunch of postures and doing a whole bunch of uh, techniques and so on or we can do it by floating we can do it by creating art we can do it by cooking mindfully like what I'm aiming at is bringing the mindfulness that can be cultivated in the yoga practice into anything into anything so we're just really present really dialed in, connected to the heart, and that is being yoga, being who we truly are. And did you find, you was that a discovery you started to establish or make back in, what, 2007, was it, mm-hmm. in Toronto? Well, I mean, in Toronto, the big breakthrough for me was uh, I was just starting to feel the, you could say, enlightening qualities of yoga. Before that, I was really just doing it. I was very... Uh, kind of the power yoga, like just wanting to sweat, wanting to grind it, wanting to feel the kind of endorphin rush, which which felt good. It was really beneficial for me coming out of the strength and conditioning and kind of gym scene. The, the power yoga thing was a good entry point. And then I met a teacher, Angela Reed in Toronto, who just blew my mind and heart open to the more uh, devotional and transcendental and like blissful states of yoga the meditative states of yoga and before that I really hadn't before that 
I wouldn't even stay for Shavasana. I'd walk out before, Shavasana is like the end, laying down, meditation. I'd walk out before that. I'd be like, I've done all my postures, I've sweated, you know, and, and then I'd get out and get on with life. Whereas with her, she just spoke spoke the language that I could hear. She She spoke to my heart and it was incredible. That's when the journey to being yoga really started to unfold much, much deeper. That's good. Yeah. And you've applied uh, various different techniques from sound healing to uh, spiritual, I mean, Eastern philosophy mm-hmm. and Western uh, techniques mm-hmm. for that spiritual transformation. Um, also life coaching uh, as well. Um, where, where did you get the Eastern philosophy? Mm-hmm. Was that from your travels in India? Well, it's from yoga, really. It's from the studying of yoga. Yoga is an Eastern practice. Yoga is has been born in India. So it is from my travels to India. But before that, it was my curiosity about yoga and about Buddhism and just how how healthy these Eastern philosophies are in our, in our Western culture, of our Western culture being so emphasized, so fixated on how much can we do, how quick can we do it, and how much can we get of it. It's such a trance, it's such a fixation. So when I started to open up the can of worms of yoga, uh, I just couldn't help but diving into all of these incredible um, Eastern mystical practices. Yeah. Yeah. And you spoke about vinyasa before. Can mm-hmm. you um, explain to the uninitiated about uh, the other side of it, the akanda uh, yoga, right. or the difference there? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, akanda yoga is what I studied in India with my teacher Vishvaji. And akanda means holistic. So uh, first trip to India I did with that akanda yoga system. Once again, I was still kind of hooked on my power yoga ways. Uh, I... I was not satisfied in a yoga class at that time unless there was the perfect playlist, unless the room was super hot, and unless I was nearly like vomiting from physical exhaustion. And I think that was just residue from my bodybuilding days and my sports days and all of that. I was still hooked on just pushing myself way too hard in a toxic way. And then I rocked up to this course. Uh, it was a teacher training for Akanda Yoga. And... It was still very physically challenging, but there, it was so comprehensive. The kundalini practices, the intense practices, working with the breath, working with sound, working with mantra, working with devotion. At first, I was completely resistant. I, I was cringing at all of the devotion and all of the talk of love and of, of God. And I didn't want anything to do with it, to be honest. And even in spite of my resistance... I had really huge breakthroughs with that, that first trip and the second trip and the third trip. But that first one was huge because mm. I was so resistant and yeah. so uh, just scared, I, in retrospect, scared of like quietening down and getting still and like being in blissful states was actually, looking back, it was scary, which is weird. So Akanda exposed me to the holistic nature of what yoga can be. It's not just about the physical, but it is physical as well. But it's way, way beyond just a just a physical practice. 
I think I can relate to a lesser degree there because uh, I also enjoy various different types of sports and I, I noticed you've applied like the a fitness training aspect to everything you do. Mm. Nice little sambo you got going on there. But when you were talking about the breath work and so forth and how it's more challenging than people give it credit for, I think I've done one breath work session mm. with someone and half an hour of that was more intense than like an hour of boxing, for example. Right. And I remember just my wrist curling up <laughs> and I'm just like curling over like this yeah. is really hard. Huh. But that was probably resistance. I was probably fighting something that I was unaware of. Possibly, so. yeah. Thanks yeah, that's, um, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, In terms of just going back to, um, you know, Stuart as a teenager to kind of where to a bodybuilder mm. into the fitness, can you tell us a little bit about your journey there? Right, yeah. Because right now I'm sure for a lot of people are like, right, okay, well, he's just probably different that way, whereas mm-hmm. probably going back to you were sure. just like everyone else. Okay. Yeah. So um, I grew up as a very athletic kid and then come, come high school, I just wanted to rebel and party. So come 13, I just started skateboarding, surfing, partying, smoking way too much weed. And um, that was my real first experience of like getting in touch with other dimensions, I guess, really. And, but then I just pushed it way too hard in, in, a, in a way too toxic way. I would go to raves every other weekend or every weekend at, at one stage when I was 15. And I started getting on hard drugs and it wasn't good. It was getting into a really toxic abuse, especially at 15. Mm. Like when you, when you are 15, you feel invincible. It doesn't feel illogical or irrational at all. It feels just right on. It did at the time. And I wouldn't take any of it back, but... I did nearly die. What felt like I nearly did die, this one particular instance, was an OD, uh, an overdose on ecstasy in which, um, yeah, just completely lost uh, body function and was foaming at the mouth and hot, cold, hot, cold, freezing. And um, that that was crazy because I was recovering for months, just depressed in my room. But that was a huge breakthrough like literally I took a couple months off high school and just locked myself in my room pretty much just depressed really it was a depressed state but in that I was starting to get really inspired I'd started to research nutrition I was listening to Tony Robbins like non-stop and I was reading the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding encyclopedia back to front and was becoming really knowledgeable of nutrition and and strength and conditioning at 15 and then I finally got back to school and literally no one could recognize me I went from uh, before that I was um, dyeing my hair black it was like pretty long and I was dyeing it black and I was all pale and skinny just like kind of gothic slash rave slash skater boy and um, just not healthy and then uh, this near overdose or what, what was possibly an overdose um just kicked my ass into gear it was a total blessing in disguise and just um yeah started to just feed my mind with all this incredible information and inspiration went back to school no one could recognize me it was quite mind-blowing for a lot of people and I was kind of I think I was given a bit of shit for like um from my skater crew because like 
it wasn't cool to be healthy at that time. <laughs> it, it was kind of cool to be like uh, unhealthy and, and negative. And all of a sudden I rocked up to school and I'm all positive and I'm pumped and I'm eating healthy and getting fit. And I actually didn't give a crap because I was just, I got so like close to death, what felt like. And um, I just didn't give a crap. And at that time I, I, I disconnected from a lot of that crew and um, created space. But funny enough, a lot of them are back in my life now in a really healthy way. Mm. Like some of them rocked up to my book launch and uh, are doing healthy things and um, really happy and inspired. Some didn't. Some kept going down a really bad uh, rabbit hole of toxicity. But some uh, are on a really good path now and we're like connecting again. But there was definitely a time where I had to go, all right, this shit is not good for me. Get it out. I got to focus on, on what's good. And it was an incredible time. It was an incredible, rich time of growth. Yeah, that was 15. Long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Um, yeah. You were talking about your book launch and how some of your friends came um, to yeah. that. So is that sort of about being yoga? Does that carry your life story as well? It does, yeah. I, I talk a little bit about that story, about that first kind of awakening, awakening experience, yep. the kind of blessings in disguise that were happening at that time yep. of... Uh, just hitting rock bottom, what felt like. I talk about that a bit. I think because it stirred up more curiosity, that uh, personal sharing. I think I'll go into more detail about it yeah. with pe- maybe in the next book or with other conversations or with this. Because it seems to be helping people. You know, um, I think there's not a lot of support for people that are hitting rock bottom I, I can't remember much support i kind of just felt uh to my own devices and I, mm. I think with more of these conversations and just getting honest about it mm. not keeping it under the rug um is really helpful so yeah I, I put that in the book but not not a lot i think i, I could go deeper into that yeah well yeah. we don't want to divulge too much <laughs> information that's up yeah. to people to actually buy it and find right. out more <laughs> yeah and um so with you and and that's sort of what you teach and and what you practice as we discussed earlier on about being yoga not just doing it Mm -hmm. um excuse the no pun intended but where do you do yoga i mean do you you, are you contracted out into Mm -hmm. different studios do you have your own studio do you work from home do you go to people's houses individually how does this all work Mm -hmm. um for years i would do as many classes as i could in a day in a week until um until a more organic, natural balance started happening in which I just do a few sessions a day, mainly out of my place. We've got a studio at our house, mainly one-on-ones. And then once a fortnight, I'll do like a big group, what, what would often be called like a workshop or an intensive or something like that. Since we've been traveling a lot, I haven't been doing like weekly public classes. Not many studios here like teachers coming and going and that's understandable people want continuity and consistency is that work travel yeah work travel so we run retreats and workshops and stuff like that in uh in hawaii and la all kinds of places we're going to mexico uh next year for a retreat but mainly hawaii and la but i'd love to get back to india and do like self-retreat but for retreats that we offer it's normally uh in the u.s yeah why be gorgeous man it's amazing i'm super grateful that that is like it's become home away from home 
It's just incredible. My our main teacher Ramdas, he lives on Maui, which is why we first started going there to study with him, to be with him, to retreat with him. And then one of our trips that we were on Maui, Joe, my wife, and I were just like, we keep coming here. Like, why don't we like try to make a base here? You know. And next thing we knew, like a couple months later, uh, we we had set up a base there and. Um, we just, yeah, we spend as much time there as we do here. and Really, really grateful. So our lifestyle is very flexible now, very mobile. And Joe, my wife, teaches yoga as well. And a lot of what we do is online as well now. So um, we've got this kind of flexibility where we just do a few sessions a day, mainly out of our house. Mm. And then, um, yeah, there's not much. We're not really locked into a lot in a way. So there's a lot of freedom to be with our kids and, and just spend a lot of good time with them and and travel and enjoy life. Yeah, so yeah. you got your, your two girls, your five-year-old and uh, three-month-old, right? Three months, yeah. yeah. Congrats again. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and so do you guys just sort of tag team each other in and out? Totally, yeah, totally. Um, I'll be teaching while she's with the kids and then she'll be teaching while I'm with the kids and and it's great. It's a great dance because then you can kind of feel we, f- we bring those vibes in with the kids and it's just a continuum. And I feel that's a big part of what I'm emphasizing with being yoga, uh, a common experience I was witnessing in myself and the community was like this common thing of like being yoga, like all namaste in the yoga room. But then, you know, going back to reality, quote-unquote, uh, the yoga disappears, which is pretty common. Like, so what, what I'm really interested in is integrating, integrating, which, which feels like it needs a bit of attention with these practices of taking it beyond the walls, out into our work, out into our family life, out into how we're navigating traffic and all of it. Yeah, you got me thinking about a few things. Like I've never done authentic sound healing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you apply in, in some of your practices. If not all, I'm not 100% mm-hmm. certain. I've never been a student for you, mm-hmm. um, under you, sorry. And um, I hear nothing but good things about sound healing. Mm-hmm. So my first question uh, would be, how do you apply sound healing with yoga? Because I thought mm-hmm. that was more of a lying down and they just mm-hmm. drum vibrations right. through you. Can you share sure. or yeah, me on to. that one? Well, for starters, there's actually a method of yoga called Nada Yoga, which is all about sound. It's all about the sound being the focal point for meditation. So say we've got a singing bowl here and we're humming it rather than it just being passive and you're letting yourself be healed by sound, sound healing, you focus so deeply into the nuances and subtleties of the sound that it takes you into meditation. And there's a real power to these primordial sounds such as singing bowls or didgeridoo or shruti box. It's kind of like the drone sounds that have a real power to them to reconnect us to actual reality to the the silence beyond thought like sound in that way primordial sound like nada sound has an ability to really like you could say penetrate our thoughts and clear the mind and and clear the body it it literally tunes our subtle body Uh, and the thing with like most diseases and dysfunctions in our 
physical body, apparently it all sets in in the subtle body first and then the physical body. So the cool thing about sound healing, Nadi yoga, these types of immersions into sound like that, is it, it tunes up the subtle body. And the initial experience of that is just a deep relaxation, a deep recalibration of the nervous system, a quietening of the mind, and then it just gets deeper and deeper. And, but for starters, it's just relaxing. Okay. It's a good focal point for the mind, but it's endlessly uh, deep in where you, where you can take it. So how I apply that in like a typical yoga session, I love to play the didgeridoo. Like say we're doing a, a breathing exercise and, and I'm getting people pumping the breath in a particular way. Uh, like Kapalbhati, breath of fire is a, t is a common one. That in itself, people feel like they're getting hot, they're getting energy moving, it's powerful. And then you apply like didgeridoo to it, which is like applying this external frequency that just drives consciousness in. It drives a really high frequency into people's body. I find that really powerful. And so you combine people's inner experience of pumping breath and deep focus while that boom sound of the didgeridoo plus the just powerful vibration of it. It's really incredible. Like that opened up for me just having incredible experiences listening to these types of sounds. And then all of a sudden I just started buying a didgeridoo there and buying another singing bowl when I was in India. It happened kind of by accident. And then just started getting interested in it like, holy crap, like this can totally be applied and make the yoga experience so much more powerful. And it continues to unfold. That's good. So I yeah. guess my second question would be, uh, because obviously you like to uh, try different things, whatever works, whatever revolves, adapt. Um, you've probably heard of Humming Puppies in yeah, Paran, yeah. Melbourne. So Nick's got uh, more experience with that place than mm -hmm. I do. I've just looked had, at their... We had Jackie on last week in our Melbourne Reconnect okay. podcast, actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you can elaborate on that more in a second. My question would be, have you ever thought about, because they use gamma frequencies, mm. as you know. Schumann, um, Schumann and gamma. Schumann and, Schumann and, and gamma. gamma. Yeah. With the singing bowl. Yeah. And then it recorded the singing bowl and then put in the frequency with that within the room. So Cool. I don't know if you've been there. or I haven't been there. I keep it. hearing yeah. about yeah. it. Um, what was the question there? Well, I guess the question is, have you thought about applying mm -hmm. so those frequencies or frequencies mm -hmm. in general in the same sort of concept? Has that crossed your mind? Have you ever thought about it, played with the idea? Um, no. But <laughs> straight, there you go, straight but, answer. Uh, I guess I do in my own way. But I, possibly if I had a studio and all that and I wanted consistency and like maybe a... Uh, like it sounds like just a full vibratory immersion. It sounds like a great idea, yeah. yeah. But no, I haven't uh, haven't thought about that that type of thing. They, no. they had a really interesting story about how they came across yeah. it. They were actually in a bar, in a pub of all places, oh. and there was like a there was like a, a fridge vibrating in the corner, oh. and it was just rattling. And they're like, imagine if we had this in the Charlotte. Wow. And then it came from there, and then they've obviously got studios in New York and Sydney and wow, Melbourne okay. now. So. Yeah, in a weird way. It came That's from. really cool. <laughs> really cool to hear that part of the story because uh, I find that myself. There, there's a there's a breathing slash sound yoga technique called Brahmari Pranayam in which you're literally just humming. You're using your own sound to just mm, hum again and again and again. And um, since doing that, I find yeah, everyday kind of sounds like 
cars and airplanes and refrigerators are transmitting that same sound, that same frequency. And you look at like a um, white noise, I've got a white noise app for the baby, for Lani, and it's all just random noises like that, refrigerators and drills and like huh. these sounds are everywhere and it sounds just like noise at first. But when you unlock that, that inner sound, the nada, it's called, the, this primordial sound, it brings a lot of peacefulness into typically noisy situations. You can find an a inherent like, tranquility in the buzzing fridge, in the, in the fo- in, even in like, the phone going off. That shit used to irritate me in a yoga class. No, yeah. It's like, no, nah, it's, like, it's just sound of the world. You, know? <laughs> you could probably potentially turn it into a symphony maybe. Yeah, that's it, potentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if one was so inclined, if one were Mozart maybe. That's right. Um, but you've, um, you're delving into a lot of different things outside of yoga. I mean, you're like a, an ambassador for Lululemon, uh, Manduka Yoga Mats. Um, uh, you, you're also dealing with other things like crazysexylife.com, mm. which I haven't looked up, but I'm mm-hmm. curious about that name. It got my mm. attention. It's sexy. Uh, and Mind Body Green, Elephant Journal, Wellness WA. What's your affiliation with all these places? How do you work with them? Um... For the most part, it's, it, most of it's happened organically, just yeah. through p- conversations like this yeah. and people I've met over the years and uh, blogs that I've done and just time in the scene, I guess, c- conversations really. They've, they've all happened very naturally. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You're a blogger as well. So um, how long have you been blogging for? Um, for years, I mean... I was even doing it back in my like gym days, like when when it was just first kind of happening, when people first started blogging. I thought, yeah, this is a good way to express and articulate. Oh. So that would have been like 2006, 2005 even. And then when I was really trying to put focus into the book, I stopped for a bit. I want to get back into it now again. Get the blogs happening again. The, the, writ, the written word yeah. more so than what you're doing on uh, social with the video. Yeah. Both probably. I'm, I'm loving the, the dialogue, the narrative and talking with awesome people. But also um, I do love writing. Yeah. I thought that was a good answer how you were talking about expressing yourself because my... Uh, excuse me, but my ignorant interpretation of general bloggers mm. was more ego-driven and right. so forth. Yeah. So, to, so to hear that sort of changes my perspective mm-hmm. once again. So here you are right now teaching as always. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. just in terms of um, like looking the essence of you know our message and what we're all about here with uh, the reconnect movement, and let's say we've got John who's travelling from Bull Creek into the city every day. He's got a mortgage, he's got, you know, a couple of kids um, and his lifestyle pretty much revolves around just getting up, putting the, taking the kids to work or school, going to work, you know, working all day, eating crap food, getting home, putting, feeding the kids, crash on the couch, go to bed, repeat. Mm-hmm. And then in that, and it's like, you know, here you are talking about where you just stopped when you were 15, you stopped giving a crap. Mm-hmm about people and you know and then you began to kind of disassociate yourself so for john who's in that nine to five lifestyle what kind of advice would you right. give to him to actually to to find his path or his true you know heart calling yeah, yeah is he curious about improving his life 
Well, that's a, that's a really good point there. Yeah. yeah. So let's I mean, say, let's say that John let's say that John has some curiosity right. there, but he keeps just falling on the I don't have time for sure. this subconscious sort of thing. Well, he yeah. just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. just he's just playing that I don't have time. Yep. I think you know inherently mm. we're all curious, but I guess different levels. So let's sure. say he's a level five curious okay. out of ten. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I've got a, like a few different answers to that, but I think my main answer would be that like how how ready is he to be honest like you what i've found with people that i want to help if they're not ready the more i like try to help them the more resistance they put up and the more denial and defensiveness and everything they just put up that wall thicker and thicker so um for one he'd, he'd need to be ready he'd need to want to like the kind of if he doesn't want it, he doesn't want it. That's his karmic trip. That's just, that's, uh, if he truly, and some people just don't want it. They got their routine and they literally don't want to put time into growth and development, into transformation, into quietening the mind. Uh, so it, I guess it would depend on John. If he, uh, if he wanted to, if he gave a crap in that way, uh, otherwise there's really not much you can do. You just mm. got to, Got to let him do his thing. Um, again, each time I, I've found people that I really care for and I want them to live a better life, I, I, I just I just love on them now, you know, and, and that that seems to have more of an impact than me just coming on to them and, and, and pushing healthy ideas and whatnot. So um, it's got to be ready. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, that's, that's something that I guess we've seen a lot as well with the yeah. people that just jump right in and you know have great float sessions and you know in general in life like mm. when we look at all people around our you know circles and as it's just you know i relate to that stop giving a crap about the mm. kind of the people around you kind of disassociate yourself from those people that you know are not aligned with you wanting to to yeah. move forward and grow and develop mm-hmm. um and yeah so fr- from that point of fun, you know pretty interesting but when you look at like let's go we go back to john on that point again and like he's a level 10 mm-hmm. and he does want to change right. but at the same time he feels that he cannot so it doesn't have time so doesn't have time or he's just i've got full. i've got to pay the mortgage right. i've got to look after the kids but i really want to change mm-hmm. i'm listening to podcasts now yeah. so he's listening to podcasts okay. on his on his training up there back and forth yeah but nothing's really happening yet i'd yeah. say then um start small start small wake up get hydrated uh, get some movement through the body, a practice of gratitude, just practicing to come back to a state of gratitude. Mm. And then um, being conscious of what, you, if you literally find you don't have time, like be conscious of what you're feeding your mind while you commute to work. Say you got a half an hour drive, like do you just chuck on the radio or put on an inspiring audio book or some therapeutic music or something to... Like I've had beautiful experiences just driving because mm. I've had periods for sure where I have not had time. I have not had time. Like when I, when I first met Jo, um, when she fell pregnant very quickly and we were caring for her parents who were dying. So our life was just full. We were caretaking for her parents. We'd moved in with them. With, uh, with her, her mum had passed and we moved in with her dad who was suffering with Alzheimer's while having a little baby and while teaching and just life was very full so I can relate to John and life had become very stressful as well so 
uh, for me, it was like finding those little moments of like, what do I do when I wake up? You know, or could I wake up 10 minutes earlier? It's like, no, nah, I've got a screaming baby. Like, I've got to get sleep whenever I can get it. Like, let's get real. So wake up, be grateful, like take a few conscious breaths. Like even just a few conscious breaths can be huge. But if we're that in the illusion that we don't have time, not, not enough time for like a few conscious breaths, uh, yeah, we, we got some work to do. So that and then yeah, a healthy breakfast, starting the day as healthy as possible, getting some good fuel in the body. And then, yeah, the, what we do while we're commuting, what we're doing in those little moments, just do we get lost in social media, like be conscious of that, maybe delete social media off the phone for a while and uh, just feed the brain, feed the body as well as John can and then take it from there. Most likely once a, a healthy rhythm is cultivated, time will open up because mm. time is an illusion. Time is a freaking illusion. And once we slow down like in our interior and we're not so we're not so compulsive in our thoughts like the average is like 60,000 thoughts floating through one's head in a day when we can just gradually slow down our interior we slow down time all of a sudden like oh I've got more time I'm not so exhausted I don't have to sleep quite as much and I mean, you guys are doing that kind of thing with the float tanks, like, like that hour or whatever in the float tank can be more rejuvenating than eight, eight hours of crappy sleep. The way a lot of people sleep, if they haven't prepared their mind in a healthy way, and they're just like, they've gone from working all day, maybe a stressful job they're not loving, and then maybe they're bringing that stress into their home life, and then they're bringing that stress into their dreams. And they're just running around all these nightmares and then waking up exhausted. It's a samsaric, like just, this, that's the rat race. So, um, yeah, those little moments. And then a bit of, like, mind hygiene before going to sleep. We brush our teeth, you know, we do all that. Just a few moments of mindfulness. Maybe they, if they do have time to float regularly, like, yeah, that is optimum for sure. But if they don't, just a few moments before going to sleep to just get still, focus on the breath, quiet the mind. And uh, I mean, I think that 20 minutes before sleep is super important mm. rather than like TV, bright lights, like we're just totally thrown off, off our chemistry. Like get amber lights, get, get the room dark, just have candles or something like that. Um, Screen time, like if you've got to have screen time, make sure it's on that kind of nighttime mode yep. or just like no screen time for the last like 20 minutes before bed, just quiet. Or optimally a few hours before bed, you would say. Few, yeah. Optimally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you I can't, mean, yeah. If you can't, I mean, of course you can. People are just addicted <laughs> to TV and addicted to social media. Of course everyone can. I mean, we don't have a TV in our house, you know, we are... It just made that, that, that choice to just cut TV out of our life in that way. We watch something on the laptop every now and then. But, um, yeah, that couple hours or at the very least that 20 minutes. 20 minutes is huge for a lot of people mm. these days mm. hooked on screen time. That 20 minutes can feel like hours. Like if, if they're addicted to that kind of uh, uh, white light and the blue light and screen time, that 20 minutes of simple quiet 
can actually be really uncomfortable for people. Similar to like people, some people's first float experience yep. of like, whoa, like that was scary. Or I mean, most people eventually relax into it. Mm. But some people are like, fuck, I was just like faced with my thoughts and faced with all this craziness. And uh, It's very intense for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Being and by can, themselves. So. That's right. So that, that advice for uh, keeping the period before sleep, I, I really emphasize that. But it can be challenging at first. It can be challenging to like, uh, shift gears into into a more relaxed state. But uh, that would be my advice for for John that doesn't have much time. Just get curious of opening up that that time. Mm, it's really yeah. I, I visualize as you were talking then. So you know the couple of key components from what I got from that is morning routine is key. You know, and before going to bed is key. Yeah. You know, and having yourself disconnected from as much you know, technology and anything that you possibly can, even lights, you know. Um, yeah, any, anything from that way that could be overstimulating you. So doing nothing as much as you possibly can. Um, but then also throughout the day where you're saying finding time, I could almost imagine, you know, you're just drawing down like a, you know, a little a, a map of your day and things that are flowing through and then finding time within that. Yeah. And something that simply anyone could do, even if you're just sure. writing down, yeah. Oh, like the, the smoko break that so many people take. Like that's finding time. Mm. And uh, you, you, you look at some smokers and they're like, they're, they're taken in a conscious breath, like they're really present. But unfortunately, they're present on the nicotine and the, 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 to, uh, the, the feeling of like getting high briefly off, off the smoke. But like that kind of equivalent of like a smoko break, taking like just a moment, a moment of a few conscious breaths, enough to like last that cigarette uh, it can be done without the cigarette and you, you can get to the point where you're blissing out on your breath and that's the ultimate recalibrator just resets and connects us to the present moment and um, once again those little moments like say for someone that does smoke like 15 cigarettes a day or like that's quite a few little moments in a day mm. and um, so we, yeah we can all find those little moments just to get under a tree, get our feet on the earth. Uh, maybe if we can't, if we're truly like in a downtown setting and there's, not, there's just concrete jungle, um, just something, something. Get some, get some fresh air, get, get, a, get a moment to refresh our perspective. But even, even in the city, St. George's yeah. Terrace, there's a couple of parks. Totally. You know, It's only a few hundred meters to walk to yeah. put your bare feet on the, mm -hmm. on the earth. Yeah. yeah, it's powerful, super therapeutic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, everything you've just kind of said, I was actually talking to Nick about last night. I was talking about a, a small little book I'd just read and it was talking about you need sufficient sleep to be productive um, and you need um, you need to sort of have a few hours quiet time away from your all electronic devices, turn off TVs, turn down the lights. It's actually covering everything you were right. saying. Yeah. And yeah, for a lot of people that would be hard, as you said, because they're addicted to TV. Mm -hmm. And um, it sort of takes me to another little uh, hard... Nick gave me this, um, this thing on... Um, uh, how to change bad habits into good habits mm. and it was like step by step and the constant um, analogy was gym work because it's an easy one to relate to mm. um, and he's saying don't set yourself the goal of um, uh, going by the end of the week I'm going to deadlift uh, 150 kilos um, because you're setting yourself up to fail and if you fail then you go ah, 
and then you're just too easy to walk away from. But if you set yourself just the ritual of going in there and lifting one bar and putting it down because you don't have time Mm. or you're too busy, by simply just finding time to just do one, all of a sudden you go back, you do two, you do three, and you just work in increments, just using fairy steps. And within Mm. no time, all of a sudden, you've got this great great habit. So I think that's really good advice. And Mm. it's it's just um, get everyone to take that first step yeah um and what the the the, um the example nick set with john whether you know be curious at a five or a ten um you know i had a friend who was um you know pretty much a one um and he was going through a lot of bad things from too many drugs he became audio schizophrenic he um he you know went to greylands he, he's been through the wars and because of all the medication he was on to sort of suppress everything, it made him eat a lot, made him sleep a lot and he just couldn't go out in the workforce. It wasn't a case of him even trying. He was just like, oh, no, I can't. I don't know when I'm going to have an episode, so I just can't. But he was okay to drink for some reason. Yeah, that didn't trigger an episode, so it was like his choice sort of thing. Uh, he didn't want to break this mould. And everyone was sort of judging him, and you were talking about just loving on people, and everyone judging him, saying, oh, I don't want anything more to do with him. You know, he's going to lose his family soon. And they're like, what do you think, Ben? And I was like, well, I judge him as who he is to himself rather than who he is to me. And he's my friend. I enjoy his com- company. I'm just going to leave it at that. Let everything else unfold as it is because he's not responding to lectures. Because every time you lecture him, he just say, "Yeah, I know, I know." He is aware, but it wasn't it wasn't going anywhere. So I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, cool, whatever. Uh, just leave it alone. Let's just have fun together." And he was a great artist, really good. But because of where his mindset is is at he was more focused on on tagging, you know, like that crappy yeah. little graffiti writing graffiti, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, not that he went out and did on the streets much. It was more like on boards and mm-hmm. so forth. And then um, his now girlfriend and, and me uh, were always trying to inspire him to expand that creativity without sort of pushing mm-hmm. or lecturing, just loving on him. And he, he came to me and said, I've started going down to the park and drawing trees and, and, and nature around me and I think I do a really good job with that. And that was just so... Mm-hmm elating and so exciting to see so I was so happy for him and a lot of people as well around him started like um, that's great that's a great step and he's like why are you so excited Ben like why do you get so excited about this and I told him honestly I said with your ability to draw one day that could be worth a lot of money and I get to brag that I was your friend the whole time <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no all jokes aside it's um yeah, I like the idea of just loving on people, not passing judgment. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about Ram Das in Hawaii and what it's like, you know, mm. what it was like with him and what influence he's had on you. He's had a big influence. Um, for starters, I could relate to his past. Uh, a good Jewish boy, he is, was. Um, very much... Uh, in the realm of, you know, ego, power and all that kind of thing. And then having um, his initial awakening through through drugs, really. And then... Um, with Timothy Leary, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, with Timothy Leary. So uh, I could really relate to that. And I related to his stories and his amazing um, ability to articulate with wisdom and humor. 
So I just dove into a lot of his lectures over, over the 60s and 70s and just fell in love with him as a being and his way of teaching and his humility. And he just became my teacher. I started doing Skype sessions with him and then started going to retreats on Maui with him. He married Joe and I. And it's just been a big part of our life. And when we're on Maui, we, we go for swims with him and we're, we're at his house with him and doing kirtans, which is like chanting and meditations and stuff like that. And um, he's just a great, a great teacher and transmitter of deep wisdom without it being preachy and without it being super heavy. It's so light and so loving. Like his since he had his stroke some years ago, he doesn't, he doesn't talk as much. His speech has, has come back beautifully, but not, nowhere near like it was in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, he was known for his golden tongue uh, and how, how well he could articulate. So his ability to articulate and speak like he used to is gone. And it takes, sometimes it takes a while for words to come out. Yeah. Yet still... In the hundreds and hundreds, people flock to him to be around his energy, which is just the energy of love, of being love. Like that has been his practice. His his guru Maharaji Neem Kareli Baba gave him the teaching, which just directly taught him back in the day: love everyone and tell the truth. And for decades, that has been Ram Dass's life's work it seems simple just love everyone and tell the truth but you take it deeper and deeper into the subtleties of it and um it's really a life's work mm. so that has been his thing of just transmitting uh loving awareness and that is his go-to practice is just repeating i am loving awareness i am loving awareness i am loving awareness and like it's very simple it's very simple and he used to be a Harvard professor and, you know, as smart as they come. And seeing his journey from like just intellectual exquisitry, just like taking the intellect to the max, to now just being love. Mm. It's really beautiful. Full spectrum. And um, it's going to have, he's gone that whole logical path to, yeah, you know, in the right hemisphere or, you know, experiencing everything yeah. through the heart. Yeah. Yeah. And he talks of the stroke being like oh, uh, another blessing in disguise, like being, as he would put it, as being stroked by God, in which uh, he's actually thankful for the stroke. He can't move much. His whole uh, right side of his body, uh, he can't move. Um, his speech got impeded for, for years. Um, yet he is the most vital and blissful and funny person I've ever met. <laughs> Yet he's old. He's 88 now, 87, 88. And totally reliant on other people's help to get him through the day. Um, I think there's a, there's a Netflix documentary yeah. with him where everyone's swimming out with him yeah, to see that's kind of what you've done yeah, as well. So that's yeah. what we do uh, yeah. on a Monday in Maui. And um, yet the most clear, vital, loving person one of the most blissful people on the earth, I think. I mean, I think people in his position of doing these types of teachings 
for that long, like decade after decade, like is pretty far and few. Mm. Um, often you see like these types of communities like like go really deep into the mystical teachings and then it kind of explodes like the, all these kind of egoic dysfunctions pop up and mm. maybe the the master the primary teacher is like fucking everyone and like just, <laughs> yeah. just this kind of sexual catastrophe just go beautiful at first and wild and then it just explodes into yeah. this huge drama that's pretty common like an osho yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you hear case after case of that so ramdas is one of those incredible rare teachers that has been doing it for so long yet it hasn't uh, imploded or exploded mm. into this kind of dysfunction. Mm. And that's why we love that community so much. Seems it's really, it seems really gentle. like Gentle, like, yeah. genuine, not so serious. There's so much like spiritual seriousness and like um, it's just taking it too literally, too heavy, too seriously. Mm. Yet you, you look at the word enlightenment, it's like lighten, like lighten up. And that's what I feel in him and that community they're masterful teachers, yet they're very human as well and just very laid back and very relaxed and very funny and it's beautiful, yeah. Mm. So you go there, you recharge yourself mm-hmm. while you're yeah. there. It is, it is, it's, time, it's time for us to be students again. It's time for us to just listen and time for us to yeah rejuvenate. It's a beautiful time. We love getting back to Maui and... And being with Ramdas, yeah. and then when you come back here, you're the teacher. So it's kind of like an interesting Perth teacher, yeah. Maui student, right? Is that, is that yeah, yeah. We do some sessions there, and we sometimes run retreats in Hawaii, and are in teacher mode. But most of the time, we're in student mode. Yeah, mm. mm. got to be done. Super important for all the teachers out there to keep the studentship going. Yeah. Yeah. How's uh, how's your brother in terms of the relationship with yourself and your brother and he's, you know, his kind of movement and development. He's in, he's a chiro, right? Physio, chiro. He's a physio. Physio, yeah. He's a physio. Yeah, he, Cam's amazing. Cam at, at Dutch Physio. He's an incredibly masterful physio. Literally got his masters in physio, and um, yeah, I love it. He keeps dropping into the into the yoga slash spiritual scene. He often plays music. In my yoga classes, he's a really incredible percussionist. Mm. And um, there's a particular instrument that's his go-to called the hung drum, which is incredibly like hypnotic. It just yeah, it draws people into deep states. So I often get him involved with music. Yet his day job is um, physio. And he's an incredible physio. Like uh, I just had shoulder surgery a couple months ago and I've been going to him each week for physio and it's really cool to see him bring in the more subtle aspects of what he's been experiencing right. with yoga and the meditation into the physio thing. Because similar to the gym scene and a lot of like clinical doing, thinking scenes, often there isn't a more uh, subtle aspect to it. But he's brought in this beautiful subtlety in which um, it's not just like, are doing like I'm doing this to you and then get out there there's a real deep uh, integral therapy happening which is really cool mm. Mm. so it could be yeah the, the reason why I ask is that he's obviously in that traditional kind of medical space mm-hmm. but he's bringing in 
the be in yoga kind of philosophy i think so yeah into that yeah and he, he's seen any changes with where he's working or people around him in that kind of in um, that field or is he just kind of the lone soldier doing his own thing as a single practitioner i mean cam's awesome in which yeah he can be in multiple different scenes and really function beautifully so like he's the head physio for west coast fever for example Mm. just like sporty and competitive and seeing him in in that he'll just kind of naturally bring in yoga and mindfulness and meditation without really even trying i don't think i think it's just become a part of his life and yeah witnessing him bring it into that uh, i don't think he's creating a, a thing out of it he's just doing his thing yeah 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 and, and you've obviously been the inspiration for him there as well in that regards and yeah. i would say that for myself personally mm. um you know i was seeing you six years ago so mm. i've done I, I don't know we saw each other every week or every few weeks for a number of years yeah. and for me personally coming from a very alpha male footy you know go out business go out dominate the world you know, um, and then yourself there that's, you know, in a way you've got this, you know, male stature, but at the mm-hmm. same time you're very aligned with the feminine and very open mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and women love you, not to, to that degree, but love being around, being yoga, right. you know, around you from mm-hmm. that point of view. Like what is it within yourself that's got yourself to that position where you come across? Because before I came, I'll, I'll go back a bit, mm-hmm. before I came and saw you is that I'd have a lot of, like women saying, you need to see Stuart, you need to see Stuart. And when I went down, I think I remember doing, you did some Kings Park thing where there were 60 people and I right. think there was like two guys there yeah. and it was all females and I don't right. know if it's still the same. No, like it's, it's totally different It's now. different now, it's yeah. going to change a bit, yeah. Um, but from that perspective, you've, you know, you've, you put across this, you know, you've got this feeling of touching into the, the feminine or into your heart or to mm. to really just loosen up a little bit whereas most guys can you talk a little bit about like especially perth guys that mm. are from that traditional business footy background right. you know go to the pub you know everyone's yeah. kind of hunched over like a little bit about that yeah yeah and how to open up i mean i can give my observation of it yep which may not be correct at all but we've all got a perspective yeah i i I think there's an old, old energy in Perth of that, um, of that what would often be referred to as unconscious masculine, which probably goes from way back from our kind of uh, convict days or mm. something like that. that. That's a common perception. There's a residue of uh, us being in jail or us being convicts and just like, just, you just got to get on with business. You just got to get the job done. You just got to get on with it and um there's probably a carry through of that and then i think possibly with us being a very isolated city this kind of uh complacency builds up this kind of armor of i don't know this uh, i mean it's a world thing it Mm, is a world mm, thing mm. that we're still in and we're kind of I think we're evolving to come out of the other side of it gradually, Mm. seeing more and more men um, wake up to their, to who they truly are. And, and truly uh, most of my one-on-ones are alpha male types. Right. 
which is very interesting. Like mm. years ago, like you said, it was mainly women in the yoga class, um, and it was, uh, which is quite interesting because you go to India and it's mainly men. <laughs> And in a lot of parts of the world, like women aren't actually allowed to do these types of practices. So it's quite bizarre how we flipped it into this sexy kind of woman's uh, activity. Um, but yeah, back to these alpha male type, they are, as far as I've seen, every one of them is yearning to relax into, into their true self. And often it takes being in a, in a field of energy and an environment where they don't feel like in competition, you know, threatened. And I don't know, for some reason I tend to just emit that kind of energy. Um, so most men, even if they come in wound up and thick with tension and preoccupied with work and very, very quick they quieten down and enter a kind of bliss state and get, you could say, vulnerable. Mm. But it's scary if, if a man is still operating in that way of being from that vantage point. It's scary to get vulnerable. It's scary to drop the armor of tension that we've carried around for centuries. This armor of tension of like, and uh, some of it's valid. Like in some parts of the world, that armor of tension is for real, like war-torn countries and whatnot. That's like, we could get bombed today, mm -hmm. like on guard. But in a lot of parts of the world here included, we just don't need to carry around that armor of tension all the time. We can work, even if you're in the corporate scene uh, and you're a CEO. One of my clients, one of my students, one-on-one -on -one is a CEO of a major company and he is very much an alpha male. And very much in that mode. But again and again, he keeps reorienting his attention to this unified consciousness where the yin and the yang merge. And it is a more optimum space to be in. That's what's interesting. Like this alpha male, like, Ugh! it's totally an illusion that that's more productive, productive yeah. more functional, more um, thriving that it's going to get more work done. Like it just, it doesn't. It's totally an illusion. So it's been really, really cool seeing man after man, um, literally man up, like become a, a really whole uh, balanced man. But it, it's scary for sure to like penetrate that tension that we've carried around for so long with loving awareness. At first, it's really, really scary. And I understand why... Um, why people wouldn't, because still in our culture, it's quote unquote the norm to uh, be in that kind of that old way. Mm. And from that vantage point, we're just we're constantly trying to one up each other, constantly trying to be better than that other, which is cool. Progression's cool. And, you know, it's understandable why we would want to be the best. But we can see when it becomes really toxic and dysfunctional and we can't even just relax into the present moment which is what we're all wanting to do. Mm. So um, I, th I think that spoke to your question. Yeah, bit, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, it's, it's interesting on that point where you talk, like I feel as a society, we need these, you know, in Perth and everywhere else and just needing these CEOs, these leaders, because they're essentially the leaders of today. Mm -hmm. 
um, to actually be a little bit more balanced and be cool with the fact that, you know, okay, everyone, everyone, we're just going to sit there and stare at the window, like stare at the window for 15 minutes and just pre- everyone stop pretending that you're busy because you're right. not, yeah. you know, and there's a huge problem with absenteeism within the workplace right. where everyone's just sitting there just tapping keyboards and True. pretending to be busy because there isn't that culture of just stopping and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And this is something we want to get into later in terms of trying to, you know, change change the culture within the workplace that it's okay to do 10 minutes and nothing, go sit in the park, you know, walk down the terrace and then just sit in the park with your bare feet mm-hmm. on, on the earth and look at some birds for 10 minutes. And yeah. and when you, you know, when we're talking about the CEO and um, about basically, you know, being that change really, that if well, we weren't talking about that, but I'm going to say that now is like the CEOs being that change mm-hmm. where they're in that heart and, and you know, where they do soften within themselves that you can be more productive, you totally. know, and, and it's just something that's completely foreign, I think, to the old way mm-hmm. and then the new way coming in. So much so there was a podcast with Joe Rogan and Elon Musk mm-hmm. on the weekend just gone by and on there, Elon Musk was just, Joe Rogan was talking about float tanks and goes, perhaps you go in there and for him that was just sounds like, pure chaos mm-hmm. to what I slow down and I'll never come back you know or like Ariana Huffington as well said the same thing to Elon Musk and why don't you rest more yeah. and for him that was just completely foreign right. so I think when we get these kind of people mm. at that superstar business level that you know show that you it's okay to actually rest and relax yeah. and be within yourself that that could create that change totally and I mean there is a risk in quietening, like you will transform. <laughs> it will change you. And again, to the, if we're identified with the ego, which most of our culture is, that that's why most people do find it hard to like really change, because like it will get scared again and again. That's and I point to here because uh, you can feel it in your gut. Mm. Like you can feel it in your gut when you get uptight, when you get scared, when like something new is happening, and that's a feeling someone like that would probably feel in the float tank like so many ideas and so much productivity and then the shift of gears and like the initial jerk the jolt of like the ego going like it's very similar to like a drug addict like going without their drug and it's very uncomfortable at first Mm. very scary potentially and each of our thoughts is creating that cocktail of chemicals that we're fixated on, we're used to it. So if, you're, if you've got this crazy amount of uh, chemicals flowing through like he would, having that amount of creativity and insight and genius, really, um, like it would feel quite strange to enter the silence where that's not actually happening. Like most likely when you come out of the silence, you'll be even more creative for sure. Mm. But that initial shift into the silence, there's nothing, including creativity. Like, there's nothing. And there's room for insight. There's way more room. But the nothingness is actually nothing. And that scares the shit out of the ego. Like, it doesn't want anything to do with nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It wants something galore, stuff galore, thoughts galore. So um, I totally understand why people wouldn't want to, like, get quiet. Because... the ego is very convincing and it's much more dramatic and compelling <laughs> to be just stuck in samsara, stuck in our thoughts, stuck in the, the, the wheel of suffering, really. Mm. So in a way, you're saying the key to 
productivity for those out there mm. is is getting silent. Like true flowing right. creativity, yeah. Where you're joyful, where you're when when you've got perspective, where you're not taking it so seriously, but sincerely, as Alan Watts would say, like taking your project, taking life sincerely, but not so seriously. Like you can only really unlock that, I think, when we've had room for insight, room for clarity, room for like meditative uh, quietness. And then, yeah, way more creative because then we can like play the game of life without taking it so seriously. And there's so much more like room for creativity and we're no longer so, so caught up in like, what will they think? And mm. will this work? Won't it work? Um, can kind of take those risks like authentically, like truly trust in the flow of it. And I, I really think that deep flowing, that flow state, that creative flow, yeah, it can't really be tapped into unless we quieten down. I think some people can be that exquisite with their thinking mind and that skillful in their like modes of doing that they get into like these zone states these flow states but most people it's not it's a neurotic kind of um, mm. suffering kind of state you know it's this wheel that they're yeah. constantly just caught within yeah yeah but there are rare few uh possibly Elon Musk included of like it, he seems to be in a very interesting zone with what he's doing mm. um, that is pretty rare, I think. He's, yeah, I think it is quite a flow state he's in. Yeah, he's in a flow state. Uh, the, the way that the float tank came up within the podcast mm. was that he was scared, he was just saying, no one wants to be me because right. it doesn't turn off. Right. Like, you don't want to be me. Okay. You know, and he's like, well, sure, yeah. And that's, and that's why he was like just looking like he was just shot. Yeah. You know, just like, like well, red all over, you know. All, so. Yeah, and it was, for him it was a foreign thing. And I think that could be said with the, with most people yeah. that people don't value that slowing down, mm -hmm. stopping, doing nothing because I've got 42 things I need to get done today. Totally. And if I don't get this done, then I won't get that. Then I won't actually get a pay rise. I won't keep up with it, you yeah. know, everyone else. And there's just that constant And I can pressure relate, like I shared society. before, I wouldn't do Shavasana in the yoga class. Like five minutes Shavasana, I would be like, nah, like get me back to the list. And it was, I, I would believe that thought. That thought was more convincing than that few minutes of deep relaxation. So I can totally relate why one would not prioritize that, that quietening down, that deep recalibration. I, I can totally relate. Mm. Mm. Well, it's, um, yeah, it seems to be, you know, a situation we're at really in society where people, you know, don't, don't put that, you know that value on that mm -hmm. nothing sides of things and yeah and i think that's where people like yourself in trying to push the being yeah. yoga message and mm -hmm. for everyone out there that yoga is essentially just preparing yourself for meditation the practice on the mat and then being mm -hmm. yoga like can you talk about a little bit of that movement yeah. from the practice to being yoga well there's a thread of yoga that is meditation again mm. it's so locked into our kind of perception yep, yep, of yoga yep. that you do yoga and then you meditate. But the physical aspect of yoga is a thread, just like meditation is. So it's very comprehensive. It, so there's the process of 
purifying the body and feeding the body well. That's a process for preparing the body and mind for meditation. Mm. There's the physical aspect, but you know, the whole panoply of different yoga exercises is pretty new. Like thousands of years ago, it, it said that the yogis were just sitting and exploring consciousness. It was just exploring consciousness and meditating. And then they apparently gradually worked out these exercises and breathing techniques and postures that can help get prana, consciousness, flowing to assist people in meditating which is really helpful because in this day and age with people sitting too much with people having crappy posture with people uh, not feeding the body well it's helpful to have this kind of map of like okay feed your body well every now and then fast you know every now and then um, do this kind of austerity of facing your addictions and burning it up some more uh just burning it up, so just for everyone, what okay. is burning up? Right, so facing our addictions. I mean, that, that could be I'm addicted to food. It mm. could be I'm addicted to sex. It could be I'm addicted to shopping. Most of these addictions are unconscious attempts to get us really present. Like I just got so high off that shopping spree. I was so present. And that's a huge addiction. And then you spent all your money and then there's the withdrawal and like fuck and you're waiting for your next shopping spree or your next paycheck. Same thing can be applied to like a sex addict. Like that moment of getting that that orgasm is just like it's a moment of like, ah, oh, like I'm present. Oh. And it can be anything. Social media is the newest thing, like that little dopamine hit of like, ah, oh, I got that like, ah. Oh. So like part of the yoga journey is facing those addictions head on. So we can actually quieten down. Because if all of our addictions are just running rampant, unconsciously, we're going to be preoccupied with that addiction. Like, like it's often said that most guys are just constantly thinking about sex. That's a big one for men to like face mm. uh, in the yoga experience and to like bring awareness into that addiction because it's very distracting to constantly be thinking about sex. It's pretty hard to like quieten down into a meditative state when i'm thinking about sex <laughs> or if i'm thinking about like anything so it's like especially a yoga class for a guy with yeah. 58 girls in it yeah. yeah so um that that's an austerity of like of witnessing what i'm compulsively addicted to and simply lovingly witnessing it and that that's a huge part of the yoga journey like an authentic yoga sadhana yoga practice is facing that kind of stuff and facing our demons head on. And burning it up is this process called tapasya, in which you create this subtle and sometimes physical actual heat in your body, like this uncomfortable heat, which is this process of burning up uh, blocked pathways. Often people have heard of neuroplasticity, mm. um, of opening up your mind field, opening up your pathways in your mind. It's that. So like all of our addictions are like blocking pathways in our mind, blocking this flowing freedom and the capacity to quieten down and meditate. So um, the burning up that I was talking about is just that, of like getting still, 
and freaking offering all that stuff that distracts us so much into the fire of, of the witness. It's just witnessing, just watching each thought come and go. Mantra helps. Like that's why I've got these beads in my hand. This is called um, japa, in which just going through it, that's a focal point. Of like, so while I'm talking to you, I'm also doing a mantra and like going into a kind of meditative dimension. So that's a useful tool of like watching. Even I remember a time when I, when I was like 16, I was sick of being nervous. And I started doing this without even realizing it was yoga of just like, okay, I'm sick of this addiction to being nervous. Like I could realize it was an addiction. Mm. I was addicted to this cycle of getting really like debilitatingly nervous so I, I was practicing to like not quite believe the nervousness and just watch it and it's uncomfortable that's the fire like you get sweaty you get tense like at first it gets worse but as you keep watching it as you keep breathing through it it burns up that's a true yoga practice and I think a lot of the obsession over the physical practice, people often miss out on that. Like it can be done physically, like through the postures, but often if that kind of conversation or that context hasn't been brought in, often that kind of transformation often just happens spontaneously over like years and years and years mm. or, um, or it doesn't. You know, it's just a physical exercise, you know. Mm. So um, that's where I'm really thankful that for that teacher, Angela Reed, who brought in that conversation of like, okay, this is a safe space to face your shit. Anything you've been avoiding, anything you've been sweeping under the rug, let's burn it up. Let's burn it up and put breath there, put awareness there, put movement there. That, that's the fire, fire of transformation. Mm. Seems like you're on a, on a movement really mm. in terms of changing the perception of yoga. Right which is like go go on the mat, mm. lie in Shavasana and go and have a green smoothie after yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and then move on right. with your day and you've done yoga and your spiritual yeah. to actually embodying it. That yeah, is, is, that, is that the say? Would, would, would I be right in saying you're on a bit of a movement that way? I don't know. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just doing yeah, it, you yeah. know. Um, I'm, I'm still a student. I'm just doing my own practice and I'm doing what has been working for me and I've had some pretty profound breakthroughs and um i can feel what works for me and i guess over the years witnessing people shifting their consciousness and starting to feel better in their life i i guess it's a movement um yeah i, I guess so but i'm just I'm yeah. just doing my thing yeah not, not trying to create a movement intentionally but it seems like people are feeling the effects of it mm. and shit's moving <laughs> No ego involved, good answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from a true yogi. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I guess in terms of um, where we're at, we've got a normal, we've got a question that we like to finish off mm. with. And looking at, with, you know, considering the podcast being Perth Reconnect and, and looking at the biggest regret of the dying. So there was a study done um, where they looked at people on their deathbed or they spoke to people on their deathbed and the most common thing that came up with people, you know, getting near to their last breath was that the biggest regret they had was they wished they lived a life that was true to themselves rather than what others wanted them to live mm. so looking you know in the context of your life you know your life at the moment how do you feel that you're living it 
the context of that question to how you live in your life? Well, a big part of a true yoga practice is the contemplation of impermanence. Like that's Shavasana. Shavasana is corpse pose in which the entry point for Shavasana is to contemplate your impermanence of like this body is not me and I'm just in this body for such a short amount of time. So I, I dabble with my impermanence a lot and impermanence of my loved ones and it's one of the most enlightening things we can do. And um, so with that contemplation of impermanence births a gratitude for the moment and like living from our full potential. So I, I really feel like each day I, it, I'm living a joyful life. I'm really grateful for the life that I've created with my family and that the work I'm doing like is just it's just organically flowing and it's from just a place of joy. And uh, so if I was to, I don't want to die tomorrow, but I feel like I would be pretty ready. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a big part of the, the practice is like potentially we could die right now. So uh, you better have a good state of mind going into that death. <laughs> so like, and that, that's pretty common in a lot of these Eastern mystical practices is like you could die any moment you might as well be ready for that moment like conscious death is a huge uh emphasis in in eastern mysticism yoga included and um i think that's something we kind of lack a lot in our culture you know uh we kind of sweep death into like behind the clean curtains and uh kind of deny the process of death and it seems to bring about a complacency and a dullness and mm. taking things for granted. So it, but a day barely goes by that I don't contemplate impermanence. You know? And it's not a masochistic thing. It's not like a negative thing. It's a beautiful thing. Like It just births gratitude and joy and like doing things for the right reason. So, um, yeah, I feel I'm, I'm pretty ready to go. <laughs> at the same time not you know um dying before we die is a, an awesome practice dying before we die like again and again and i think that's what people do in the float tank without even realizing mm. when you really drop deep into those theta rhythms and then beyond you you get in touch maybe it's conscious maybe it's unconscious with these bardo states of these dimensions beyond our body like this body isn't us it's so not us like it's a tiny dimension out of all these dimensions we've got available. We're just so, playing uh, flesh puppets here. Yeah. yeah. And then the thinking mind, the ego, it's just these little dimensions. And then who am I beyond the body? Who am I when my body dies? These are great contemplations to do regularly. Like where, do I, where does my conscious go when I'm floating? Like contemplating that kind of stuff is really, really powerful. Even just for daily living to appreciate our body and feed it well and appreciate uh, our relationships and what we're doing for work rather than like waiting until retirement to finally relax and celebrate life. Like I, I really do feel like I'm already living that, that life. Like I'm not really planning. In some ways I'm planning for retirement, but I'm already living the lifestyle I would want to live when I retire, which... Um, and could 
hopefully keep this going and, until I die. <laughs> amazing, yeah. amazing, awesome. Um, yeah, well, I'd say that that's you know that's pretty much a wrap. We'll get you in to have a float actually right cool. now. And um, yeah, if anyone you want to share like how people can get in contact with you and yeah, you can check out um, stuartwatkins.org and I'm on uh, all the social media platforms as well. Yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Thanks for coming. All right. Well, thank you very much for having us, Stuart. It was very inspirational living, uh, listening to you. Um, so thanks for coming on board, mate. And uh, thank you, Nick, for being here today as well. That was really get, uh, great hearing you talk as well. So, yeah, thank you. Thank awesome. you, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers. All right. And that's all we have for the uh, Perth Reconnect in the Beyond Rest Chill Out space. <laughs>